everyone. I'm Ron Stefanski, co-host of Disrupt Ed, and I'm joined by my compatriot and co-host, Dr. Caesar. Dr. one in the house. And uh, we had a guest on to talk to us about reflective learning and working with uh, teachers and instructors to really, really make a difference in the classroom. Very fascinating stuff. And this was uh, Pete Hall. And we've invited him back for the second episode because he teased out the fact that for all the writing that he's done for educational leaders, he's taken a departure. He's been self-reflective. He's followed his own medicine. And now he's back to talk to us about a YA novel where he's written a book to connect not with instructors, but a novel that helps to connect uh, with young adults. And so, Peter, thank you for joining yeah, us. Thanks for coming back, man. You know, one thing I want to say about our last episode, too, uh, that we had with you, at the end of it, we started talking about how important reflective practice is for everyone. You know, it just doesn't have to be teachers. You know, every even students, we need to be able to teach students how to develop those muscles. I like that gym thing, man. You know, but, but I'm serious to develop strategies to help them develop those muscles so that they can even pass it on to other folks. I think that whole model is just fascinating. So I want to thank you for sharing that with us in the last episode. You know, you're so right, Caesar. And the other thing that's really uh, interesting from, from our perspective, you know, we've been bringing disruptors and people with a high get shut done index, um, you know, onto the show. And one of the things I've recognized is, you know, you begin to see um, things in common. And one of the things that um, I think is a consequence of COVID and the pandemic and the and the great break and shift in how we operate our lives, basically, I think one of the things I've watched uh, with great interest is the way in which companies are um, also looking at uh, when when their employees are coming back, just as school leaders are so, you know, they're in the news because parents and everyone has an opinion about when to come back and how to come back. But that's been the same in the businesses and in the in the in the um, corporate leaders that we've been talking with. And what's so interesting to me is that a lot of CEOs, and I point to uh, one of my former uh, colleagues and and the CEO of, of Cengage Learning, um, Mike. Michael Hansen, you know, he talks a lot on his own um, blogging and posting about culture, about creating a culture, about bringing these ideas across a community. And so it sounded to me, Pete, if I'm not mistaken, that part of this motivation to write um, a YA novel was to kind of spread this out and create more of a learning um, or receptive um, audience and experience for learning. Um, so am I right on that? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me back on the show. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a high compliment, you know, coming on the show once is one thing, but getting right, right. Well, you pass, you pass the mic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is the book that you're referring to chasing the show. And so I do have a copy of it here with me and I'm, I'm super excited about it. It is a young, a novel and yeah, part of the motivation behind writing it was, to build connections and to, to encourage those connections. And you're talking about, you know, schools trying to decide when to come back and businesses trying to decide when to come back. And you mentioned CEO. And so one of the things that um, we've thought about as we kind of investigate this whole process is companies, schools, we're all trying to kind of look at what is the metric? What's, what are we actually trying to accomplish? What's our, what's our data? 
whether we're successful. And, you know, Google and other companies like that have set up results only work environments, those row environments for years and allowed employees to, as long as you get the work done, right? That's the metric. The other that we're finding, and, and it took this global pandemic to really shine the light on this is that we're finding how important connections are. And so our CEOs are now also simultaneously playing the role of chief empathy officer, being in touch and attuned with how folks are doing emotion because that's part of the equation. Like, because when workers are just working at home, getting work done, it's really easy as a supervisor, as a, to just leave them. Right. Right. <laughs> and they're, and they're not getting, so I was having a conversation with one of my best friends, uh, growing up. I just talked to him this week and we we're talking about he's, Next month, or he's coming back to work, right? There, he's going to come back to work two days a week. And he's, and I asked him, well, what do you think about that? And he said, well, one is I miss interacting with human beings. You know, my entire life is spent, I'm interacting with a computer screen, which is not exactly the same or talking on the phone with folks, but mostly it's emails and I'm just typing stuff. And he says, my companions are my two cats. I mean, my wife goes <laughs> to, the, to the gym or whatever. And what the other piece is, is thinking, man, I'm going to have to start wearing pants again. So he's got, <laughs> he's got a couple of things he's wrestling with. And I think that's the piece that as supervisors, we have to take into account. How are our humans, right? How, who are they actually connecting with and engaging with? That's got to be part of this equation. Right. I totally agree with that, man. And, you know, uh, and just to, to refer to our, our last episode again, you know what would have been really great if we could have had that opportunity with our staff to do reflective practice while we're at home, you know, and, and take that to another level. Because now we see all these challenges, mental issues that are developing. And I truly think having had a strategy to kind of deal with reflection and from that perspective would have been healthy for many of our young people and our teachers and our staff, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, it all comes back to connections. It, it starts with that emotional, you know, honest connection. The question is, do we really care about these other people, whoever they are, whether they are our children, our students, our employees, our supervisors, our colleagues? How how willing are we to reach out and truly connect to people, especially during times when we're so isolated and so disconnected? That's, yeah, for sure. That that's So so share with us, man, the, the book about, uh, number one, why you wrote it, <laughs> but number two, just some highlights in it because we don't want to give away everything and people don't want to buy it. So we'll just listen to uh, Disrupt Ed for half an hour. Right, well, I'll try to share a little bit without any spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Great. There you go. It's a it's a young adult novel, so the primary audience is teenage kids, and uh, the the protagonist, the main character in the story, uh, his story arc kind of follows this idea of. He believes he's going to be a professional athlete, and it, it follows the rises and falls of that dream as, as time progresses from se his senior year in high school into his first year of college. And on one side, you know, it's it's interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting story. I think it's really engaging. I personally, I enjoy it. Uh, and the other piece is it's, it's designed to be helpful because, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a principal. I'm right, right. I can't just write a story. To tell a story, right. it's got to have a 
a point to it. It's got to have your DNA. Right. It's, it's, in it's, your it's DNA. in my DNA. It's, it's, it's part of my PSD <laughs> index. Is I just that's get, right. That's I right. Get more out of this than just story. <laughs> you have to get something out of it, right? So, you have to get a meter. Yeah. <laughs> my GSD index was high, and my I know that's right, man. So as as the story unfolds, it also follows the interactions between the kid and his parents, the kid and his classmates and teammates, the kid and one of his teachers in particular, uh, the parents and their friends who are school psychologists. And it, what what's really interesting about it is it it has pros and cons about. Effect, or well, I guess it's examples and counterexamples of effective ways to talk to our kids about supporting and nurturing the goal while simultaneously keeping a contingency plan, a plan B kind of in place. And that's, that's a really delicate conversation for parents and teachers and coaches to have with a, a young person who's so committed and convinced that this is the path. And, and, so what I've, I've tried to do is being helpful is give um, adults language and strategies and I weave in just tiny little bits of research here and there um, that help them facilitate those conversations. And and for the young adult readers, oh my gosh, all the examples and counterexamples of the, the smart and ridiculous things that the main character does, they're like, why, why would you do that? And it, it provides great um, talking points. What age level? So when when we say young adult, what age level, uh, age range, uh, ranges? So teenage kids. So basically, I would say once you hit middle school, it's probably going to be an appropriate read. I mean, there's nothing in there that's terribly offensive. There's a couple scenes that maybe are shocking and some that are emotionally intense. Uh, But for the most part, I would say, you know, once you hit middle school, high school. And as always, my recommendation would be if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're a counselor, Read it first. Herman, if you want to read it with your children, with your students, with your team. I mean, we have classrooms that, you know, high school classrooms, middle school classrooms, they're reading it together. We've got volleyball wrestling teams. They read it together. You know, lots of parents and kids obviously are reading it together and having So you don't have, you don't have people protesting saying, take that out, take Pete's book out of the library, take it out. (laughs) To my knowledge, it has yet to be banned. So (laughs) we're not getting banned. Well, you know, um, I've been following the book industry, and what's a really interesting thing is that if you want a book to shoot to the New York Times bestseller list, you're absolutely you right. Get someone to ban the book, and everyone will start reading it. So maybe, maybe that's something to keep in mind with your publisher. Caesar, maybe this is your moment to say, you know what, ban this book. Maybe yeah, I- yes, to our listeners and viewers. Exercise caution when you see this book on the <laughs> shelf. Yeah. But, but but Pete, you you, you really do think I, I like what you said in terms of teachers and and administrators reading it first because they can use it as a strategy, you know, in terms of how to to communicate, you know, with our children. And it, you know what? Also, it it also the it also helps children understand how to communicate with adults too, right? So Absolutely. I think and that's then- really a unique piece, man. Well, that's the that's another funny thing is a lot of our kids don't don't have the skills or they don't have the knowledge to go and talk to their coach or go and say something to a teacher or to address something with their parents that's that's concerning to them. So not only is all of that kind of embedded in the story, I also wrote um, a couple of study guides, so discussion guides on, our, on the website, which is the title of the book dot com, chasing the show dot com. 
I have um, a discussion guide for young adults, and there's a discussion guide for grown-ups that facilitates as you're reading. So kind of, you know, section one, section two, section three, there's there's questions to kind of guide the dialogue between kids and grown-ups. So that, that the perennial also, teachers, so only teachers do that, right? Have a study guide, <laughs> go with the book. That's right. <laughs> I mean, because I couldn't just write a story, right? I mean, it's an excellent idea because, I mean, all, our children learn regardless of what we think, so we should help shape it, you know, shape that learning so that they can, you know, share it with other children. You know, that's the, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, as a parent of grown sons, I think about the value that this book would have had when my sons were teenagers. You know, we were, um, you know, nuancing conversations around the fact that uh, one of our sons was really passionate about his music and really wanted to see um, his career take off and to go out there. And so he started a band and um, they started getting coffee gigs. And um, I went to uh, one of his first sessions and he had all these groupies, you know, he had all these Oh, well, I didn't know that, Ron. They came out to the coffee shop, yeah, and they came out to the coffee shop. So it was a, it was not a tough conversation, but it was certainly one um, that required the kind of reflective thinking that you were talking about. Because on the one hand, you don't want to dash anyone's dreams, and and, and there is the one person that's going to turn out to be Blink One Eighty Two or you know the next Frank Sinatra, the next crooner, you know. But on the other hand, you have to have a plan B. You know, as a parent, you want to make sure. Um, your child is not the one who's deciding, I'm going to do this. And, and and I think these kinds of situations come up for parents all the time, whether it's uh, in the arts or whether or not it's with sports or it's in those areas where um, the pyramid and the uh, trajectory to be successful at the top of the game is a very steep one um, for which a lot, of, uh, a lot of people are not going to make it and not any fault of their own. Yeah, so Pete, in terms of just kind of some morals out of it without giving away everything, what would be a couple morals out of the story that our children and adults can take away? Well, I, I want to, I, I'm going to answer that. And I also, I want to go back to what Ron just said too, that it's, it's, it's presumably it's a baseball book because the story, you know, is about a kid who thinks he's going to be a baseball player. However, it's not a baseball book. It's a, it's a book about growing up. It's a book about having goals. It's a book about parenting and coaching and mentoring. It's a book about how do I navigate what my journey in life is going to be? And as, as I become a grown up, how am I doing that? I guess, I guess I'm kind of answering your question at the same point. What I'm trying to say is if you look at it and you think, Oh, it's chasing the show and it's got a baseball player on the top. I, I'm not interested in baseball. My kid's not interested in baseball. That's not the point. I mean, there is. There's clearly baseball in there because as, as I've learned in my journey, you write about what you know, and I know some things about baseball, and the story is semi-autobiographical, so I've got little pieces of my life in there, um, it, yet it's about, you know, like, like Ron was saying, you could be a musician, you could be an artist, you could be interested in sports, you could be interested in activities, you could be interested in video games, whatever it is, uh, as parents, you know, and, and here comes the moral, as parents... We love our kids unconditionally, right? Support and nurture and embrace what they're interested in, what they love, what they're, what they're doing. My daughter, for instance, you know, she was all about, she wanted to ride horses and she wanted to barrel race. and she, So we bought a horse. Well, we bought many horses over the course of the year. 
And then we got a pickup truck and a trailer, and we ended up building a barn on our property so she could keep the horse. And this past week, we sold the horse. <laughs> and it, and the whole time, you know, I totally, and my, my wife and I totally support that goal, that idea, that ambition. And, and maybe there's professional, you know, barrel racing in her future. Now there's not, right? And that's okay. It's a great experience. What's professional? What, what is barrel? What barrel? What now? Racing? Barrel racing. That's when the horse runs kind of this triangle around different barrels at a rodeo. Oh, okay. And, got it. You know, they, they race really fast. And she's, she competed as a, as a barrel racer, but that's not going to be the thing that carries her throughout the rest of her life. And now sees that and we're like, okay, look, we're going to sell the horse. We're going to convert the barn into living quarters. I mean, things change and that's okay. So the whole time we've been nurturing and tried to live what I wrote about in this book is nurturing and supporting her. Meanwhile, she's still been going to college, you know, at the dining room table because it's all virtual, but she's still been going to college. She's still been getting her education. She's got a job. We still encourage her to you know, be a well-rounded, you know, happy, polite, respectful kid, all blah, blah, blah. Right. The point is, as parents, even though we might have said 10 years ago, dude, you are not going to be a professional barrel. Right, right. Oh, no, we're not. Right. We were able to facilitate and support that. And I think our, our relationship is stronger as a result. She's gone through that experience and now she's finding her course and finding her path. So, And, and that's a moral in and of itself, man, because I think we, we should encourage all of those even smallest dreams that our children have or students have and support them. You know, I used to tell uh, when I was in Detroit and, and you know, being a teacher, and I, I used to support those, tell administrators, look, if they want to be basketball players, hell, let them go for it. You know, but give them that, that academic ability to make decisions and to think and to solve problems and challenges like that, but support them. If it's right. good, support them. Who cares? You know? Absolutely. Caesar, here's the funny thing is, you know, we... We we know the statistic. I mean, as grownups, we know the percentage of kids that will make it professionally as an athlete, for instance, is less than one one thousandth of a percent. I mean, some crazy percent. Well, you know, I actually, uh, as a as an assistant principal, I had a former student of mine that ended up playing in the NBA, and you, I mean, he was an exceptionally talented, incredible young man. Um, also had some, had his issues, right? And there's, there's no reasonable expectation seeing him as a sixth grader thinking, oh, this kid's going to the NBA. Yet we were, you know, supported. He got a full ride scholarship to college to play basketball. He got his education. He went and played in the NBA. Now he's back and he's coaching middle school basketball. So, I mean, he's an incredible young man and an incredible kid. And, but who am I to say that's unreasonable? Don't do that. Don't feel that passion. No, we, we nurture that passion and we support the plan. You can do both. I think that's right. As, as Absolutely. Parents. And that's why people should read this book too, right? So right. Don't ban it. Don't ban Put it. it up again. Put it up again, <laughs> man. But but people should read this book. I mean, definitely, because I totally agree with you 100%. And that's why you have such a high GSD, man, because you really do get shit done. There's no doubt about it. I look forward to kind of meeting you personally, man, because you got me all excited. Now I'm going to go back and read some more of your stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's interesting, the correlation between pursuing a dream 
and also having in the back of your mind as you're supporting someone doing that, that that dream may not see its full actualization in its current form. But what a dream does, it seems to me, and here's where the connection is back to education and to learning is, I think what dreams do is they identify things that we're passionate about. So we're passionate about football, whether or not we're on the game. You know, I uh, recently had shoulder surgery and I had to reconcile the fact that I'm never going to have a, you know, a football career. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but I think that I think one of the lessons uh, for our kids is this, and that is uh, something that I've abided my career that, that I think has served me well, and that is pursue something that you're passionate about. And all the success monetarily or financially or professionally will follow. You know, when I was um, in in college, I um, fell in love with, you know, literature and I became an English major. And there's so many people are like, what are you going to do with that? And it's interesting now because as I've entered, you know, and over the years as a, in the, in the world of business, I've interviewed thousands of people and, Sometimes I'll have someone that comes into my office and they'll say, you know, well, you know, I have an English major, you know, but, you know, and there's that but, you know, that, but, uh, that we got to get rid of, by the way. Yeah, and, <laughs> right. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and what I say to them is, wait, stop yourself right there because you're talking to an English major. And so it's not that you should apologize for it, but what you should do is tap into why you're passionate about it and how that passion has helped you to inform your skills and your proficiency and your ability to get things done. So for me, being an English major was an opportunity to refine my writing skills, my communication skills, uh, and my ability to discern. You know, I think being an English major, being a liberal arts major is about discernment. You're evaluating text, you're evaluating great uh, literature, and through that you're discerning what's important. And what's the pattern here? You know, Ron, to your to your point, though, Ron, I used to always, and, and see, I used to always tell my children, whether I was a teacher or, you know, administrator, whatever, right? Do something. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, you just do something. I don't give a damn. Do something. Just don't do nothing, right? And so they knew when I was coming, they had something planned to say because they don't tell me you're not going to do nothing. <laughs> You know, and, and working from your passion is a, is a really powerful way to advance yourself and advance, you know, your sphere of influence, whoever it was. I, you know, I was coaching a, a lady just the other day who was going into a job interview, and it was really kind of an interesting circumstance because she had gotten her current job, and they loved her at, at where she was currently, and they had promoted her to a new position. And then after they promoted her work, they were realizing, wait, you're not qualified for this job. According to the, according to the qualifications, the, the degrees or whatever that she had to have to have, uh, they said, you're not qualified. They looked at her and said, but you're totally qualified for this job as a, as a person and as an employee. What, what you bring to the table and what you've learned and what you've gained, you don't have the degree and you don't have this X number of years of experience, but you're clearly qualified. And she was passionate about it and interested in it. And it totally, it was a game changer because then the company, rewrote the job description oh wow there you go she could fit into it and i think that's i mean that's the thing is so often we close doors for ourselves because we think oh oh i don't have that or i only have an english degree so i couldn't possibly and the point is no 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 
you're more than a degree. You're more than your piece of paper. You're more than your qualifications. You're more, I mean, you've got so much more than that to offer, and especially if you're coming from a place of passion. So yeah. I love that. That's a, and and, and that's why people should buy this book. I mean, that's that's right. you <laughs> so um, we appreciate you coming back to us, Pete, as we wrap up. It's been great hearing um, your story and feeling your passion and understanding how you've put it into practice and uh, and with your latest uh, project, uh, Chasing the Show. And so thank you. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I, I really appreciate being able to come back and chat with you some more. Well, this and, has uh, been have great, Pete. Um, before you write the next one, you'll have to come back again. Um, oh, this, yeah. has been, this has been Disrupt That. I'm Ron Stefanski, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. And Caesar Mickens. And we've been talking with Pete Hall, the author of the new YA novel, Chasing the Show. And there's one last opportunity to see the cover and to get out there and um, and read the, the in, in addition, read some of uh, Pete's reflective practices for teachers and administrators and for students. He's done a lot of work around that area, so we highly recommend you check it out. I have he's, already, so yes, but. he's been he's he's brought an interesting perspective. Uh, that during these times when we have to really really dig in and figure out how to make impact, um, it requires new thinking and new skills. And Pete, you've you've provided a lot of insight. Absolutely. So thank you. And thank you thank to you. our listening and viewing audience. Much. This has been Disrupt Ed. Thank you to all of you for joining Take us. Thank you, everyone. And, Thanks um, a lot. Right. See us again on our next episode. Thank you.